0: We're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. How are we doing this week? Hey, good. How are you? Good. Doing great. I, I do uh, want to say I'm starting off this week, and I'm just going to say, you know, um, my topic may involve the frank discussion of body parts, So if that's something you and your, we listeners don't want to hear, you know, just skip ahead to, uh, I'll put the timestamp in here. 11 minutes, 13 seconds. Perfect. So German biologist CFP von Meritus, I was visiting Amazonia and meeting with the, uh, the native people living there in 1829 when he heard a most curious tale that involved a particular custom of the men in that region.
1: Oh, before,
0: no. in, before entering the rivers of the area to swim, uh, they would take a small piece of some sort of thin material. You're going with this. Uh, and yeah,
1: you're, you're doing a t- it. A,
0: a, a tight knot around their penis. Uh, this was, they explained, to protect them from the dreaded Kandiru. Okay. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Candereyu? Right. We're gonna go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a species that's also alternately known as the Canaro, uh, the toothpick fish, or brace yourself, the vampire fish. I don't See, like I, this. This Kirk. is why Uh-oh. I probably should have waited until Halloween to do this you, one. You might have. Now, you might, yep. Now look, swimming without a um cover shall we say, uh, can be dangerous in these rivers. You don't want your bait hanging out in rivers with piranhas. Uh, If you aren't looking for any bites on the bait, uh, you know, cover up, right? So, and there have been alleged, uh, reported cases of piranhas making off with people's um, genitalia. Bait, let's say, right? So, uh, the the candiru, though, is something else entirely. So now, let me get this out of the uh, get this right out of the way here. That uh, the candiru is a very real creature. Uh, it is a parasitic fish that inhabits the Amazon and Orinoco basins of lowland Amazonia. And once again, though, we are foiled by common names because the word candiru is, on the one hand, used to describe just one particular species, the Vandilia sir, uh, sirhosa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the other times, it's also used to describe like multiple subfamilies of related fishes. So mm-hmm. okay. that's confusing. But the, the Vandelia cirrhosa uh, uh, is this the species we're looking at today. And these are small, translucent, parasitic fish with short, backwards pointing spines on their gill covers. Oh, no. and, oh. and they're parasitic because they enter the gills of larger fish oh, no. and sort of latch onto the host fish. Uh, with these like thorny, backwards-pointing spines. Oh no! And they are very difficult to remove. And the fish are uh, hematophagous, uh, which is a great oh. word that basically means they drink, they bullet. eat blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's thus the vampire, the vampire fish oh, name. Oh, horrifying! And so the big qu- and uh, the translucent um, too. Oh my god! The the rumor uh, was that of course, if men went into the river. And especially if they were to urinate into the to the river, mm-hmm. these fish would would smell that, find them, and uh, swim up their urethra, yeah. and become lodged yeah. inside their their <laughs> penis. That's uh-huh. where I thought you were uh, going with it. Yeah. Yep. Same. Pretty horrifying. Pretty horrifying. <laughs> uh, which would <laughs> is reported to be very painful and awful and whatnot. So I would uh, expect the, nothing else. <laughs> the question is: Do the men of the world need to worry? about this fish, or at least the men of this region they said they were tying, you know, trying to tie things off and, mm-hmm. um, and they, there's a very real fear of it. Uh, and so do they need to worry about it in a word? No. Uh, okay. No, they don't. So there, there's a lot of problems with what I'm going to call the myth of the candiru. So first of all, they can get quite large. Uh, the, the main species we're talking about here grows up to seven inches long. Oh, oh wow. So. Clearly, that's not swimming up your urethra. Uh, No. They are smaller when they're younger. I found multiple references to them being one inch long. But again, um, a urethra is not large, you guys. I don't care (laughs) if the... You know, it's like that's not something that... Things don't easily go in there other than maybe bacteria, right? That's Mm -hmm. not something that you really should have to worry about. Um, It's a one-way type
1: situation. It's a one-way pipe.
0: One would hope. Uh, So now... (sighs) The thing I hope you'll notice also is that these fish don't survive in the wild by hanging out in urethras. That's not a thing that they do. In mm-hmm. fact, that would, be, that would be fatal to them. Uh, they live in the gills of other larger fish. And there was speculation early on, and I've even seen a BBC documentary that says this, shame on them, that mm. yeah, continues this idea that like these fish are attracted to urine. Um, wow. And this is something that's pretty easy to test. You can get a tank of them and... Put in urine and see if they're all like, ooh, and swim over to it. And guess what? They don't. Mm. They don't care. Mm.
2: Uh, And why would they? Because, Right, exactly.
0: They don't have a reason to. Um, And it should be obvious. um, You know, gills don't really smell like urine. Um, And it turns out that these fish actually rely on their eyesight to find their hosts. Mm. So they don't really have a reason to, like, swim up your peen. Okay? It's not happening. Uh, and there, there are actually like stories too about, like, oh, don't even want to pee near the river because they can literally shoot up your stream of urine. And it's like, oh my god, you know, Sort of like peeing on an electric no. fence, except with a uh-huh. small yeah. parasitic it's, fish. Yep. It's like, okay, never mind that that would defy the laws of physics.
1: Okay. They but are very precise and accurate in their aim. Yeah.
0: So this has a lot of the uh, the hallmarks of a myth, um, and when you actually look at all these reported cases, a lot of them turn out to be like hearsay and rumors that have been like passed from one person to the next. You're like, well, where is mm-hmm. the actual person? Oh, I heard it from so and so. I heard it from so and so, and like some of the even like purported. There was like one modern case that's been uh, purported, and once researchers looked into it, it's like nothing added up. Mm. Right? It seemed like it was just sort of a scam. Mm. So. It, it, it's it's kind of ridiculous. And um, it's it kind of interesting, though, I think, because one of the things that I remember learning when I first started, like camping outdoors and whatnot, or being an outdoors person is that if you need to relieve yourself in the great outdoors, you should do so at least 100 feet from water to keep your urine out of the water, you know, the place we all like swim and eat fish out of and things like that. So yeah. there is a chance that this story like started as a way to keep people from peeing in rivers. Okay. And I think it'd be pretty effective at that if you told a small child, like, here's what's going to happen to you if you pee in the water. I would be horrified so, and
1: not go near the water ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the legend has probably endured because it's so horrifying. Mm-hmm. And people love telling horrifying, like, morality tales, especially. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, you know, mm-hmm. don't pee in the river or this might happen to you. But unfortunately, the misinformation about the story spreads faster than the facts. And the Internet is full of articles. And like I said, even there's a BBC video like kind of warning about the dangers of this fish. Mm -hmm. And uh, the stories talk about infection, pain, even amputation uh, or or death. And they make quite an impact on readers, especially uh, the male ones. And, and actually, it's funny, the Encyclopedia Botanica even has an entry on these fish that mentions inflammation, hemorrhage, and death. Oh. But the editors apparently didn't bother to look too deeply into this mysterious creature and realize that most of the claims are either rumors or outright fraud. Mm-hmm. So to wrap up, I do have some final thoughts. Uh, first of all, to men... Tie it off in a
2: bow, as it were.
0: Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> uh, men, this is a shout out to all the men out there. Quit peeing in rivers. Okay. Shouldn't need this scary story to stop you from peeing in a river. Uh, second of all, you don't need to be so paranoid about something swimming up your urethra. That's not a thing. Uh, and uh, I I do have some bad news, though. As I was researching this and, and, and doing a lot of the reading on it, mm-hmm. um, like I said, men, you're in the clear. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, oh, Vic- women. Victoria, w- yeah. we
1: talked about it. We know what There happened. are
0: a few confirmed cases oh, uh, no. of these barbed fish getting stuck vaginally. Nope. <gasps> so, mm-hmm. do with that what you will. I'm just providing info for you. Uh, everyone swim safely. Don't skinny dip. In South America. Yep. No skinny dipping. Yep. Don't no skinny dipping. Uh, and uh, that's what I. That's the horrifying story. I hate that. That I Thanks. have for you this week. <laughs> Other than actually a super super fascin- fascinating parasitic oh, fish. Super. It's just that it does not actually jump out of the water and fly up your urine stream inside you. So at least we don't have to worry about that.
1: I don't I don't know if I should say thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, lives rent free in my head now. Yep, <laughs> sure does. We're
0: mm-hmm. gonna take a break uh just a short one for you to recover uh because rachel i hope you have some sort of cleansing story for us after that oh. i do okay good see everybody in a little bit see you then. strange by nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash Nature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at... Patreon.com slash strange by nature. See you soon.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Um, so this is kind of a slight callback to a previous episode. But uh, when you think of hippos, what do you think of?
0: Very what large. The of
1: hippos? Large. Deadliest Death. animal in Africa. Death. Deadliest animal?
0: Huge, uh, huge teeth. Huge teeth. Water. Huge Water. mouth. Huge mouth. Yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, oh, and of course, I think of like the annoying sound of people going wham, 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 hitting the hungry, hungry hippo <laughs> uh, <laughs> lever, and all the, all the, all the, the mouse going snap, 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 and grabbing all the white marbles.
1: The, the, you know what? Fair enough. Um, so, so many people, you mentioned water. Um, many people think of hippos as being like really good swimmers, right? Do you think of hippos being good swimmers?
0: I think of them being in the water. I never really thought about how well they swim. Yeah.
1: Um, so here's the catch. Hippos can't swim. What? Okay. (laughs) Hippos can't swim. Good to know. (laughs) Spend a lot of time Uh, in the water
2: for an animal that can't swim. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, so these are large can they, animals Can they float? No Okay <laughs> <laughs> They can't
0: thought there was like a, a loophole in there or something
1: Nope They can't float okay. uh, So like you were saying Like they spend a majority of their time in the water Like up to like at least 16 hours a day in the water So you'd assume that they would be good swimmers And while a they fair do Fair assumption, yeah Right uh, while they do have some adaptations that help them being in the water, they can't swim. Um, part of this is to do with just how dense a hippo is. Um, uh, I I know we talked about Victoria said that they are large and they are. Um, they look like they're pretty like flabby and fatty and such. Yeah, right, yeah. That's all muscle.
0: <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. Okay. Um. <laughs> It's all muscle on me too, just so you know. Just oh, so we know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. It's th- not that burger I had. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like um, males can get up to ten, almost ten thousand um, pounds. Oh, what? yeah. Oh
0: my gosh, that is so, outrageous.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, they, they can get up to ten thousand pounds. They average at least a um, two, or three thousand pounds is like about minimum. For
0: an it's adult, m- it makes me wonder: do they, spend, do they spend that much time in the water just to take the weight off their knees?
1: <laughs> I would personally. Um, right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about some of their adaptations for being in the water, and then kind of talk about how they don't swim. Um. So. Because they do. They spend most of their time in lakes and rivers. Um, they can hold their breath for up to 30 minutes because uh, they do have lungs. Um, their nostrils and ears and such are located and eyes are located on the top of their head. So they can just hang out on the top of the water and not worry about okay. needing to breathe or and they can see. And most of their body can stay submerged. Um, Sort of crocodile style. Crocodile style, and the reason for that too is actually because their skin needs to stay hydrated. It's um, it it can dry out really easily, Uh, so they can't spend more than like six hours outside of the water. Um, And part of that uh, part of their uh, adaptation with their skin too is um, they also don't have sweat glands. Hippos can't sweat.
2: Right. Um, And
1: instead they secrete like this red substance that is referred to as blood sweat from their pores. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah, it does. Uh, It it coat, it just coats their skin. It's a mucus membrane type thing. And it keeps the skin moist and actually helps protect the hippos from getting sunburned.
0: I don't think I'd want to touch that. No, I mean, that's <laughs> that sounds useful, but I don't want to excrete my own mucus based red sunscreen.
1: <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, Just saying. Yeah. Uh, um, so when they are under the water, they can close their nostrils and they do have a nictating membrane for their eyes. And they even actually have slightly webbed feet, um, which would be helpful if. If they could swim. If they could swim,
0: yeah.
1: (laughs) So technically, all hippos do, all they do, is they walk along the bottom of riverbeds or lakes or wherever they happen to be, or because they're so dense, they just sink. So they just walk along the bottom. (laughs) Or what they do is they just push off and do large leaps like Neil Armstrong on the moon. Uh, and just great. traverse oh, the water gosh.
0: like that. <laughs> what a wonderful image. One, right. One large leap for a hippo.
2: It's one. sort of like the hippo ballet and Fantasia, if you have seen yeah. that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, to give you a little more context, too, like they can't, obviously, I have touched on how they can't swim, but like their movement, their locomotion in water is about, their, their top speed is about five miles an hour. Uh And on okay, but on land, hippos at their highest sprint, okay, just in a little sprint, can go thirty miles an hour.
0: Oh, so if being chased by a hippo, you should maybe go in the water.
1: Yeah, but then you have to deal with which seems like my
0: my last my last. (laughs) They're still gonna be faster than you in the water, though.
1: Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna make it.
0: Oh, I can climb a tree though. I don't think hippos 40 can climb miles trees.
1: Yeah. They cannot climb trees, so you They would, would crush there. the tree. Yeah,
0: knock uh, over the tree. Inc- incidentally, do you know why you never see elephants in trees? I can think of a few reasons. A couple. It's because they're that good at hiding. Oh
1: my god, <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. One other adaptation that they have. Um, So because they spend so much of their time in the water, they actually can also sleep in the water. Um, They have a reflex for when they do fall asleep and they're underwater. It causes them to push off the bottom of the water uh, to the surface, take a breath, and then allow them to sink back down without even waking up. So after about oh 30 minutes, they uh, bob up, take a breath, come <laughs> back down. That's amazing. They
0: like <laughs> sink to the bottom like a rock yeah. and be like, huh. Yeah. Well, is a good place to take a nap underwater <laughs> where seems, I can't breathe.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> easily get out of here. Yeah.
0: That's so wacky.
1: It is very wacky. Um, And I got to give uh, some credit, too. Uh, I got a lot of info from the San Diego Zoo site on hippos um, I also got some really good info from an Atlantic article about how hippos can't swim um, and it was it was very entertaining so credit where credit is due um, and that is what I have for you all today
0: thank so, you That I, I <laughs> it's amazing how much I don't know about hippos
2: right? Ah, so it's
1: the hippo I, I literally in my notes I have it hippos again Um, so we're going to take a quick break and when we return, it'll be Victoria.
2: And we're back. So last week, you may remember, we took a shallow dive into Saturn's ring system. The only kind of dive you can take. (laughs) Yeah. But I actually wound up choosing that topic after I had started looking into this week's topic. I had started researching Saturn's moons, and I wound up getting oh, okay. sidetracked with the oh. rings. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this week I want to talk about one of Saturn's weirdest moons. Uh, there, as I mentioned last week, Which eighty-three one? known moons. Yes, you got,
0: you yeah. got a few to choose from.
2: A lot to choose from, exactly. Uh, I'm Very talking awesome. about. One that I did mention last week, Enceladus.
0: Nice. Okay. Yeah.
1: I don't know much about this one, actually.
2: I had to look up how it was pronounced because I thought it was Enceladus, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Enceladus is Saturn's sixth largest moon, but it's relatively small. uh, So its diameter is one seventh that of Earth's moon, so about 500 kilometers across. Okay. and its shape is slightly ellipsoid, so it's not perfectly round. Like, it's not, I guess, big enough to be perfectly round. Oh. Have, you know, moons have to reach sure, a certain yeah, yeah. mass before they fully round out. Um, I think the term is roundify. Roundify, yes, that is Unlike the roundify. technical yeah. term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's located in Saturn's E-ring, which if you listened to last week's episode, you may remember is a very wide diffuse ring. That's actually quite far beyond most of the visible rings of Saturn that we're we're familiar with. Um, And and I'm going to get into this more later. As I alluded to in last week's episode, Enceladus is believed to be the main source of the E-ring.
0: So they're intimately connected. And yeah, no, but that's not why it's called the E ring for Enceladus, right? It just happens to be the order. It no, was it was the fifth one it? discovered. Okay, yeah. wow, aw- yeah. awesome coincidence. Okay, yeah, that was bugging me ever since last week. I had to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's been keeping you awake at night. Oh, apparently.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. So this moon has a few claims to fame. The first is that it is the most reflective object in the solar system. What? Wow. Yeah, it bounces back 81% of the light that hits it, which is incredibly high. Um, for yeah. you extra nerdy folks out there, it's the Bond albedo of 0.81. Um, so for comparison, the average amount that Earth bounces back is about 30%. Okay. Yeah, that's wild. So yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. Consequently, it is incredibly cold. Surface temperature at noon is about... Minus 198 degrees centigrade. Uh, that's yeah. minus 324 Philly. Fahrenheit or 75 cool. Kelvin. That is cold. No. Yeah, that's okay. cold. Uh, and the reason that the surface is so reflective is that it is largely fresh, clean water ice. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. uh Interestingly, it has all different kinds of terrain on different parts of its surface. So some of it is... Cratered and has clearly been impacted. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of it has deep fissures and kind of um, almost mountainous regions. And a lot of there are some areas that are quite smooth and therefore seemingly relatively new. So Mm -hmm. a fresh surface indicates there has to be some kind of geological activity going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it really took. Uh, so we got some pictures of, um, of Enceladus from, I think, one of the Voyager probes that flew by in the 70s or early 80s. But it mm-hmm. took uh, the space probe, probe Cassini in uh, 2017 to figure out that there was something really unprecedented going on near Enceladus's south pole. Hmm. So Cassini was able to take pictures and uh, samples and realized that there are these massive cryovolcanoes, which are what? geyser-like jets that are spewing salt water from uh the subsurface oceans Enceladus on Enceladus what? 800 miles out into space. So cool.
1: That's insane. What? Yes.
0: Yeah. It's, it's got a it's got a leak. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's more than a leak. It's a
0: yeah. Oh it's a very large leak, yeah.
2: yeah. Um Some of the water does rain back down onto the moon, and some of it Mm -hmm. constantly renews the E-ring, which just would not exist without it.
1: Okay. That's wild. Makes sense, though.
2: Yeah. It's salt water. It also contains some organic molecules, more than would have been expected, which is very intriguing. Yeah.
0: Very intriguing, yeah.
2: You might wonder, though, if the surface of this moon is so cold how is there liquid water underneath? Mm. Hmm. Well, a few clues. Yeah. Along with the water and the organic molecules, the E-ring also contains nanoparticles of silicon, um, which are of a form that can only happen where liquid water touches silica rock at temperatures above 90 degrees centigrade. Huh. Huh. Okay. So there's water and there's rock, and it's got to be at least about Gotta 200 be degrees Fahrenheit, a little, a little bit below freezing or, or a little bit of boiling. I mean, or it could be hotter. Yeah. Um, huh. so this indicates that quite probably there are hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the ocean. Wow. Yeah. That's um, crazy. and it's also possible that tidal forces from Saturn are what's causing the heating
0: because sure, yeah, kind of expanding, contracting kind of stuff. Yeah,
2: exactly. Uh, Tidal forces are really significant on these moons of giant planets mm-hmm.
0: and oh, I gotta imagine they're crazy.
2: Yeah uh, there's at least one other moon that has um, geological activity going on that's related to to tidal forces mm-hmm. So you put all of this together and it means that Enceladus is one of the few spots in the solar system that could plausibly have its own life forms perhaps yeah. growing near these yep. hypothetical hydrothermal vents. So cool. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. Um, obviously, there's a lot we don't know. As I mentioned last week, scientists are still going through all the data that was collected by the Cassini probe, and they're learning more in, about Enceladus. Um, and there's actually a potential space mission, I also mentioned last week, which would specifically visit Enceladus and try to explore more about whether there could be life there. Uh, but, you know, just... <sighs> Just researching this topic, I feel like I'm discovering this all over again, but it's just so amazing and mind-bending how different all of the planets and moons out there in the solar system are. And each of oh, yeah. them has their yeah. own thing going on. And it's just, it's really, I find it hard to wrap my head around, like, we don't just that know there are these so different much. worlds out there. Uh, well,
0: I think we are biased being on Earth because we look at our moon mm-hmm. and we go... Yeah, it's, it looks pretty like a big dusty mm-hmm. rock, you know? I mean, I, I think it's amazing and awesome stuff, but like there's not this kind of stuff going on. But when you, and, but you look at some of the other moons, there's some moons that Jupiter has that are so big that if they were floating out freely in space, you'd just call them a planet. Yeah, some are bigger yeah. than Mercury. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I, I think we our vision of what can be a moon is kind of jaded by... Our moon. Yes. You
1: know? Yeah. You say yeah. our moon is boring, Kirk.
0: Comparatively, yes. <laughs> okay. But I'll still go. <laughs> I'll still go. I'm just saying there's maybe perhaps more exciting moons out there.
1: Mhm.
2: Okay. Yeah, I actually had a tough time choosing which moon to pick because there's so many cool ones with really different weird features going on.
0: Oh yeah. Well, lucky for you, this is not the end of the show. I mean, this is the end of this show. It's not the end of this show. We can
1: do more man. as a
0: con. There we go. Yes. Episode 65 will be coming up just next week.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Uh, well, I might take a little break from space, but we'll see.
2: Fair enough. Oh. All right. Well, that's all I got for you this week. And uh we'll have a little break. No, wait. Let me start that again. Kirk started this episode. Sure did.
0: <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, do I have another topic? Really quick. Um, uh, we'll, talk about, uh, we'll talk about Rust. All right. Rust well, right. that's all I have for you this week. And
2: we will talk to you all next week.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you next time. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday. And we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. horrifying mm. that's what i got
1: Ugh.
0: yep yep horrible Ugh. just horrible thanks There's no nice way to wrap that one up <laughs> although or to, to tie a bow on. <laughs> all
1: right all right